how truly beautiful and precious it is to love God. So often I begin thinking about how truly precious and wonderful it is that God loves us, but with that music just lifting and the spirit falling, the beauty and the joy of simply loving God together in this place. What a gift. It is a gift. It is an honor and a joy for me to be with you, worshiping and loving God and coming to know God's love in return. And I thank you for gathering in this place with me and the privilege of being able to stand here with you. So the widow took her two pennies and tossed them in the treasury cup. In my less reverent moments, I sort of see it like a exact change drive through <laughs> But today we're being very reverent, so let's hold it together. She took her two pennies and she put them in the cup. And Jesus called over the disciples to him. He said, come and see this widow and what she has given here. All these others have come and they have given much, but they have given out of their abundance, their wealth. She, this one, has given all that she has to live on the whole of her life. Truly, I tell you, what she has given is worth more than all the rest. Are you familiar with the story? Have you heard it before? Anybody heard it before? Okay. Do you know the point? All right then. <laughs> So you heard it before, many of you, and you think you know the point. And so I ask you, has it changed your life? Has it changed your life in such a way that you have changed anybody else's life because of it? Because if not, what's the point? Right? What's the point? Why do we get up here on Sundays and pull out the scripture and put it on these little places and get on up here and read it so importantly that we stand and listen to the words? What's the point? If it hasn't changed your life or anybody else's through yours, why do we do it? Good question. I was reading in Eugene Peterson's uh, introduction to the message, the Bible retelling that he offers so that he might, in his own words, he says, translate 
the language of the Bible into a language that feels accessible to many today. And he explained that many people read scripture as if it is an outline of basically here's what to do to be a good person, live a good life, and therefore be a good Christian and get saved or something. Okay, well, I said it my way, but he said something along those lines. That we read it as kind of a story that the basic thing we do with the story is we listen so we can figure out what the point is, which means what we're supposed to do, and then we decide, okay, if I want to be a good Christian, I'm going to do that thing, or not. Because here's the catch. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, this could just be me. But I read that story and I think, everything she had, people back then, it must have been easier to be poor than it is now because <laughs> I'm telling you, everything she had, only two cents, and she put it all in, and the point is that I'm supposed to give like that. It's a nice idea, good for the scripture, and I'm glad they only read it once a year on Sundays. <laughs> because the truth is, I don't give like that, and I'm not going to. And the voice in my head says, one more thing that good Christians should do that I'm not going to be doing. And I feel bad about it. And so I put it to the side. Because I don't want to be feeling bad about not doing it right. What the scripture tells me to be doing. And Eugene Peterson says, we got it all wrong. This is not just something we do every Sunday to say, here's what you're supposed to do, which you probably won't do, so you can feel good about yourself, which you probably won't, so that you can feel like a Christian who's saved, because then inside you're going to feel like you're not, and basically we'll just keep showing up here, running on that hamster wheel, trying to get somewhere we're never going to get, because we read the scripture and act like it's a list of how we're supposed to behave. He says, no, this is a story. It's a story for a reason, because stories, the Bible stories, are stories of what? Real lives. The Bible scriptures are full of real life stories of people like you and me living their lives like you and me, trying to be in relationship with God like you and me, however imperfectly they do it or we do it together. It is the story of God's people seeking God and God seeking and revealing God's self in those stories and those life stories being transformed where they meet. And we are invited to hear those stories and enter into the stories not take them as some list that we can never live up to, but enter into the story so that they might be a place where we too can meet this God we're seeking and that they might be a place where we too might have a transformation experience in our very 
stories so that the revelation of God occurs not far away and long ago, but ongoing right here and right now in your life and mine. We are meant to live into the scriptures so that they will live into and through us. And then what? Change our lives and the lives of others. This story happens to be a story that did that in my life, and I'd like to share it with you. Ten years ago, I was in New York. I was a student clergy person, and I had just finished a long Wednesday evening of a fantastic Bible study that I had created. It was fantastic. I had this litany that allowed people to participate a little bit, but not too much. The words were profound and inviting, but simple enough for people to feel comfortable. We had a nice little ritual that let other people participate who didn't feel comfortable talking, and the message was something very deep and interesting and life moving, and four people attended, and I was bitter and resentful. <laughs> Do they know how much effort I gave to this one Bible study? I had worked and prayed and written and rewritten and organized the space, and I was sitting on that subway for an hour and a half ride home tired and cold and bitter <laughs> because I am giving for God and nobody is showing up. <laughs> and all I really wanted to do was to get home into the nice comfort of my apartment and take off my boots and this jacket, which, by the way, is the exact same jacket that I was wearing 10 years ago. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And just relax. And so I was kind of zoning out on the subway as it rocked along. It was fairly empty, for which I was grateful. And then I noticed out of the corner of my eye that it wasn't as empty as I had thought, actually, that there was right to the side, one row down, what looked to be a pile of garbage bags, and was, in fact, a pile of garbage bags, <laughs> with a man underneath them. And I thought to myself, huh, I hope he stays there. Because <laughs> I am tired. <laughs> and I've been given a lot. And if he gets up, he's going to want something for me. And he's going to ask me for something. And I'm just going to have to say, I work for a church. And I've been giving, giving, giving. I already gave, because <laughs> I'm tired. And as I was contemplating how to do that in a direct yet pastoral way, 
and feeling resentful that I even had to think about this at all on my ride home, the door opened at the other end of the subway car, and in stumbled a man whose stumbling was made worse by the movement of the car, and he had an empty cup in his hand. And as I saw him enter, I thought, please do not come this way. <laughs> and so he started coming this way. <laughs> and in my head, I was thinking some more things about how I didn't really have anything to give. I mean, I had a $20 bill in my pocket, but I needed that $20 for my Metro card for the next day and some milk when I got home, and I wasn't gonna be able to really ask him to break a 20, and I wasn't gonna be able to <laughs> give him the 20. And so I really, when you break it down, I really didn't have anything to give because I couldn't give that. And so if he was gonna come and ask me, I was gonna have to figure out how to be direct yet pastoral and tell him I had nothing to give because I had been giving so much and as I was having this conversation in my head trying to pretend like I was asleep so that maybe they wouldn't bother me and leave me alone and in peace garbage bag man started to move and he came right in front of where I was an empty cup man moved closer till they were right in front of me. And just as I was getting ready to say something, do something, I realized they were completely ignoring me. <laughs> and as I watched, garbage bag man reached into his pocket and he lifted up two cigarettes and dropped them in the empty cup. And for a moment, they looked at each other and had a little nod. And then he moved over here and he turned around and kept going. And I sat there on that subway seat and broke right open. They had asked nothing of me and had given to each other. And that's when this story came in to my story. And I sat there in the place in me that really did experience the pain of what I'm telling you under this laughter. Because the part in me that really does want people to be well, I had betrayed that. Because the part in me that really does want to be the one who shares the love of the God I long to know had been shut away somewhere. Because I sat here and discovered I was the scribe. I was the wealthy people. I was full of all my good works and beautiful prayers. In fact, I was so full of all the stuff 
that I carried around with me and piled up in front of me saying I'm a good person and I'm doing the right thing and I'm worthy and I'm okay and I am okay that I could not move with compassion. And then my heart broke open further. And I realized I am a widow. Maybe not that widow, not yet. But I am a widow. I am someone whose naked need is real. I could hold all the cups behind me somewhere and pretend that they weren't there, but I had empty cups all around me. I had empty cups of longing to be the woman that I hoped that I could ever be. I had the empty cup of hoping and praying that I wasn't going to be what they said I was going to be. I had empty cups of wishing that I didn't feel so alone and cry myself to sleep at night. I had empty cups of the tapes that go through my head about how unworthy I am. I had empty cups about never being loved and never being enough and never, never, never nothing. And those cups were behind me and I could not find the honesty and courage to lift it up and hold it out. And so I rode along a little bit. I was the scribe, and I was a widow. And some place in me was able to make enough space, move enough junk out of the way, and lift at least one cup of realizing how empty I was to God, some kind of prayer, something, and that's when God's story began to be revealed in this story, began to be revealed in my story, and I started to feel a shift, and I was not just the scribe, and I wasn't just a widow. But sitting there in that place of my poverty, sitting next to my companions in our shared humanity, I began to experience God's truth for me. And here it is. That until I could come and meet God in the place where God knew that I would lift my need to God and move my junk out of the way so that God could respond. Until I could meet my brothers and my sisters in the place where we are all in poverty of one form or another and know that we are one. I could not know that in my utter poverty, 
absence of that which is necessary for survival on my own, I could not know the truth about God. Because the truth about God is that God's love is so extravagant, it is beyond our imagination. It is ridiculous. It is lavish. It is unjustifiable. It is beyond reason. And I had been acting as if I could earn it or lose it. I did not understand God. I could not understand God until I was free for a moment of earning it and losing it. And that's where grace came. And that's where I realized the truth of grace. That my worth and my value are not dependent on anything of my own but that God alone, who has created me and you and you and all of us, created us that we might give all of our lives, for that is what is of great worth. She gave all of her life. It was of greater worth than any of the wealth that had been put in. All of our lives we are called to give. And that is where we experience that God says it is worthy. And I'm talking to you right now about the place where you say yes, but. That part is worthy. The other wonderful parts are worthy. The struggle, the triumph, the emptiness, the confusion, the every, the whole of our lives is worth more in God's hands than any other thing we can give. Because it is only when I surrender this into God's hands that I become truly rich. Rich with honesty so I can live in my own skin, rich with acceptance so I can move through the world being present and not in the past or in the future, rich with compassion because I can finally see me in you and you in me and know that it is loved, rich with companionship because now I belong, rich, so rich with the kind of trust in God that I cannot describe to you with words. The kind of trust that all will be well because all is well in God's hands. And what do I give? What can we give? The whole of our lives. It is giveable. We give what we most desire. For ourselves. I can give listening to you as I desire to be listened to. I can give acknowledgement to you as I desire to be acknowledged. I can invite you to a place at the table as I desire to eat at the table too. I can free you from my stereotypes 
as I wish to be free of yours. I can give you the things I desire most for myself, a sense of your own humanity and the holy worth of that. This is the richness of grace. This is the extravagant blessing in my poverty that God makes whole. This is the thing that transforms my very life and in turn transforms my relationship with others. And this is the thing that transforms the world. I give because he is my brother. And when I cannot give, I look my brother in the eye and say hello. And when I have a choice before me, I seriously ask, how is it that I can live the truth of the love that has been placed in me by God into this world? For in the end, isn't it this? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For this is the point, is it not? <laughs>